what is up you guys i'm allison and i'm katie and this is the morning hour podcast welcome (laughs) back (laughs) we were gone for a week but we're back and a lot has happened i feel like in the last couple of weeks um there has been like a lot of just in the air i feel like and there's been like there was a i don't even know if I don't think I told you about this, Katie, but there was actually like a shooting at a university and um, at MSU, three people were killed mm-hmm. and that happened, I want to say three days ago now, four days ago, maybe. Wow. So yeah. And it's just, it's really, it's really thick that we're still having these conversations Like, you know, in 2023, we're still talking about school shootings. We're still talking about, you know, all of this just like negativity. And I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about that stuff here. We're a true crime podcast, but we shouldn't have to have the conversation of of a new school shooting every single month. No. So I just how many how many more is it going to take for like stuff to change? So. I just wanted to give that little spiel um, because it sucks, severely sucks. I actually, I don't know if this is naive of me. I actually had to start a new comfort show (laughs) to like clear my mind of everything. And if you're wondering what the comfort show was, it is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually really love, really love it. And I didn't really expect to for some reason, but I'm obsessed. So um, with that being said, our our hearts, you know, my heart goes out to the victims' families and everything like that. So um, I hated to – I don't want to start the episode off, like, naked, like on a sad note already because what we're going to be talking about is already sad. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that a little bit before we dove into today's case. Um, so, yeah, um, I've already – warned Katie that this episode's going to probably piss her off and it's probably going to piss you guys off too and I'm probably going to offend well I say offend I'm definitely going to be making fun of the two people that we're going to be talking about today not the victim obviously the two perpetrators of this case I'm definitely going to be making fun of them to some degree so if you don't want to hear me making fun of these two idiots, maybe don't listen to this episode. But if you are totally fine with hearing me rag on two teenage idiots, you can continue to listen. <laughs> so I guess with that being said, I talked about I talked about some negative stuff. I talked about Buffy the Vampire Slayer a little bit. I guess let's just jump in. Yeah. Sounds good. Sweet. All right. So, in 1996, the slasher genre of horror films was forever changed by a new modern-day masked psychopath, Ghostface. The movie I'm referring to, if you couldn't guess, is Wes Craven's Scream. I could give an entire summary about the movie here, as it's one of my favorite movie franchises of all time, but we are not a horror movie podcast unfortunately (laughs) sometimes i wish we were but we're not (laughs) (laughs) to make a long story short in the original movie 
two teenage serial killers decide to take their friends and classmates out one by one. Ten years after the movie was released, two teenagers in small town Idaho decide to take inspiration from the movie and engage in a killing of their own. This is the case of Cassie Jo Stoddart. So this was in 2006? 2006, yeah. Dang, okay. Yeah. So Cassie was born just a few days before Christmas on December 21st, 1989 in Pocatello, Idaho to her mother, Anna. I couldn't find her father's name, unfortunately, but she had two siblings, a sister named Christy, who was six years older, and a brother who was 18 months younger than Cassie named Andrew. Growing up, the kids would mainly live with their grandparents, uh, Paul Sr. and Josefina Cisneros. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I did like pronunciation keys, and that's what it like led me to, so I'm hoping that's correct. <laughs> but around two years before the murder took place, the kids moved back in with their mom and her boyfriend, Victor Price. Andrew would go on to describe Cassie as headstrong and a role model but she was also just your typical teenage girl. The two spent a lot of time together, not only because they were close in age, but because they genuinely just enjoyed like a lot of the same things and liked to hang out around like the same places and enjoyed like just hanging out and enjoyed each other's company. Cassie was extremely creative and she loved drawing and painting and just hanging out listening to music. At the time of her death, she was a junior at Pocatello High School and a straight-A student with a lot of aspirations for her future. She had a bunch of friends and for about five months had been dating a guy named Matt Beckham, who also attended Pocatello High School. It was also at Pocatello High School where she met the two idiots who would unfortunately take her from those who loved her so dearly. And we're about to be getting into who these, who these guys are in just a few minutes, but let me just tell you, they share about 10 usable brain cells between the two of them. Interesting. Like, <laughs> not leg- not actually. I'm sure they have m- more, but <sighs> they're... It's debatable. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to set up this episode a little differently than usual. Typically, I give you the background on the victims, tell you what they were like, and then go into the crime, the crime scene the investigation to catch who did it, and then talk about the perpetrators. But in this episode, I'm going to give the background of the guys responsible now because I feel like it'll keep me in this episode a little bit more organized because there's a lot of back and forth that goes into what actually happened leading up to the murder and beyond. And most of what we know comes directly from them. So it's just, it's a way to keep myself organized. So the two guys we're talking about, we have Adam. Nope, that is not his name. (laughs) My brother's name. His last name's Adam Chick. Oh, okay. Weird. Yeah. Okay. So the two guys that we have going on, we have Brian Draper and Tori Adam Chick. Okay. Okay? Tori, that's a chick name. (laughs) Okay. So it's T-O-R-E-Y. So it's Tori. He all okay. So we'll get into it. But he has two siblings, and they also have like like unisex names almost. Like, well, okay. I think 
never mind. He has a sister named Lacey, but we'll get into that. But he also has a brother named Jamie. So it's okay. it's all kind of like girl names. I think their parent, his parents probably just wanted three girls and they ended up with one girl and two boys. So <laughs> I don't his parents make a lot of questionable decisions, but we'll get into we'll get into that. The names, it's probably one of them. But yes. So <laughs> the first one. Right. Yeah. The first one is the name. So Brian Draper, Tori Adamchick. Those are the two two assholes of the okay. day. Great. So, by the way, going back, other than the information that I gave, there's really not a lot of information about Cassie, unfortunately. Typically, I like to spend a good bit of time like talking about the victim, but that was really all that I could find on her besides, you know, the fact that she was just really sweet, really kind, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah. just I wanted to spend more time, but I couldn't really find the information to spend more time. So okay. going back to the assholes. So Brian Draper was born on March 21st, 1990. And at birth, he was adopted by Pamela and Carrie Draper and they lived in Utah. So Brian spent the majority of his childhood there and only moved to Idaho when he was a teenager, had only been living there for a, a few years at that point by 2006 I mean growing up he was often teased for a stutter that he had this led to him feeling like he was a bit of an outcast which yeah it sucks when you're a kid but as you get older and you're like pretty close to adulthood it's one of those things where you just I hate to say it, but you got to get over it like yeah. and not use the fact that you were teased as a reason to hurt other people you know what I mean right. like is bullying wrong? Absolutely. A hundred percent. I can go on a super long tangent about how bullying is beyond beyond the realm of messed up. As you know, and I can I feel like I can say that as someone who was bullied. Yeah. But you have to have some innate psychological like blip if you think that it justifies being violent. Yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> It goes back to the whole nature versus nurture conversation we had during the Shanda Sharer episode. If you haven't listened to that episode and don't really know what I'm talking about, go listen. Um, you can experience some incredibly messed up things and not go on to do incredibly messed up things. You know, like it explains it, but it doesn't justify it. Right. Two expert witnesses would later claim that Brian was severely depressed and troubled and was obsessed with violence as early as the seventh grade. However, his family states that he was a happy and harmless child. That was until he became friends with Tori Adamchick. Tori Adamchick was born on June 14, 1990, to Shannon and Sean Adamchick in Pocatello, Idaho. In addition to Tori, like I said before, the couple had an older daughter named Lacey and a younger son named Jamie. After the murder, Shannon wrote a book called The Guilty Innocent, where she basically is in full denial regarding what Tori would end up doing. And to that I say, there is literally, literally video evidence of him planning this out with Brian. So... I mean, obviously, we'll get into that, but just keep that in your back pocket. Jeez. So Brian and Tori were friends with Matt Beckham and were actually like acquaintances with Cassie. Both Brian and Tori liked Cassie. They had little crushes on her, but she was way out of their league and 
didn't really give them the time of day, obviously, even before she was dating Matt. So they all knew each other, all hung out from time to time, talked in school, stuff like that. And Brian and Tori were really, really into movies. Okay. So they had a shared interest in filmmaking, but they especially loved horror movies, which, okay, I mean, same. I literally just said at the beginning of the podcast that sometimes I wish we were a horror movie podcast, but we're not. But whenever a person who commits a murder is like super into horror movies or maybe even like violent video games, people tend to immediately blame the violence of the movies and the video games for the person's actions, which I think is just kind of like grasping for straw, like grasping at straws for a reason why bad things happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think you can watch every single horror movie and play all of the like all of the violent video games and be the kindest, most gentle human being. Yeah. If you're going to kill someone, you have something in you that is going to because like it's going to cause you to do that. Horror movies may like exacerbate these feelings, but they don't create them. Right. So we can't fully blame the movies here. And I'm actually going to refer back to Scream. Billy Loomis in Scream said it best when he said, movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. So Mm -hmm. that's true. Billy was crazy, but he was he knew what he was talking about whenever it comes to that particular situation. Mm -hmm. So. So they were super into horror movies. They loved the Scream franchise. But Brian specifically was also fascinated by the 1999 Columbine Massacre. Great. Which we have a true crime podcast, so it's safe to say that we're also fascinated by stuff like that. But Brian's fascination was unhealthy as to the extent that he almost idolized Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. Uh. He looked up to them and the whole outcast motive that they were bullied and ended up getting back at the school for being bullied. You know, he he idolized that. But realistically, while Eric and Dylan may have been bullied, they were also bullies themselves, which we have like a whole t- series <laughs> basically about Columbine coming up soon so I don't really want to dive too much into it here but all that to say Brian wanted to gain the infamy the same way that they did and to that I say get better idols for real Brian would admit later that he wanted to do something similar to Columbine and he expressed this to Tori who in turn came up with the plan to make a real life horror movie instead emulating scream which i am so curious how whenever there's two people who are involved in killing together i am so curious as to how that conversation comes up i know at at the lunch table oh you know i'm really not digging the tater tots i think i want to kill somebody like i i just don't understand how that topic of conversation would even come up you know what and i mean why it's, are there all these situations where the other person on the receiving end of that comment is like you know what me too let's do instead it instead of like <laughs> exactly instead of like um i'm gonna i'm gonna tell somebody i'm gonna report you to the authorities <laughs> yeah 
like mid pizza bite in the cafeteria. Um, I'll be right back. I'm going to go call the cops. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. um, be right back. Who are I these friends know. that are like, oh, yeah, you know what? That sounds like a great idea. What are the odds of two psychopaths at the same lunch table at school? Apparently, not very low. (laughs) I hate to say couple killers, but like couple killers, even if they're a friend couple, a relationship couple, there there has got to be some force that brings them together for them to create such destruction and such hostility. It's... Yeah, like, I why? I don't get it. Chaotic, evil force bringing two horrible people together I, for destruction. I, just, I don't understand it. And a lot of the time, they, like, if the people who are involved survive or, you know, whatever, they'll go on to say, like, oh, I wouldn't have done it if it weren't for me being with, like, friends with this person or being with this person. So it's like, you you have the wherewithal to know, like, if I weren't friends with this person, I probably wouldn't have killed. It's I like, don't even believe that, though. Like, I don't believe that for a second because there's no friend on earth that could convince me to murder somebody. Like, I love you to death. You're my best friend. But if you ever came up to me and were like, hey, let's go murder someone, I'd be like, you're crazy. Let's get you some help. I am like, calling the police. I love you, but you're crazy. I'm locking you in a rubber room. Whatever. <laughs> you know, like, we're going to get you some help. But, like, no. I- you don't get to blame no. that on the other person. It's like, you're crazy too if you went along with it. Okay, I'm sorry. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. So these assholes were super into filmmaking, okay? And they were the kind of guys who like had a camera with them at all times, which I mean, back then it was like, I guess you could do that at school in 2006. I wasn't in high school in 2006, what? so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> But they just like recorded like their everyday activities in the at, at school in the halls, you know, stuff like that because they wanted to be filmmakers. I mean, I entered high school in two thousand eight, and I think like maybe we could have gotten away with that at certain moments. But I feel like teachers that stand out in the hallway would have been like, "Hey, put that camera away," you know? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. No. It it's it's weird, and I mean going back to Columbine they did that at Columbine you know they were just walking down the hallways recording stuff in the lunchroom recording stuff and it's like how (laughs) if we even had like our phones out I mean I started high school in 2010 so four years after this happened um if we even like I said if we even had our phones out in the hallway like texting or calling doing whatever a teacher would be like um no and guess what I'm gonna take that (laughs) Right. Yeah, we weren't allowed to have, like, they didn't want to see them. They knew we had them, but they were like, don't have them out in the hallway or the classroom or at lunch or anywhere. So I don't know if these people are toting around, like, a camera camera? Like, like what, like a video camera? (laughs) Okay, so we will learn what it is, but yes, it is like a video camera, like a handheld video camera. It was 2006, so it, it was like a, it was a video camera that took, like, a tape. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know the size of it. I don't know if it was like a camcorder, like a huge, <laughs> you know, thing, or if it was just one of those like handheld, like about the size of like an actual like voice recorder thing, but it had like, yeah. a, a, like I, you know what I'm talking about? I had one like that in like 2009. I didn't bring it to school with me, but it was called a flip camera. 
Yeah, it, yeah. It had like a USB that flipped out on the side, and it was about the size of like an iPod or something. I'm dating myself with all of these words, but um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was like yay big. You know, you yeah. can see this. Obviously, our podcast are listening, but can't. everybody else can. It's about three <laughs> inches, if I can. If you're three gauging four, correctly, I'm measuring the probably about four. Correctly. Yeah, probably about yeah. four inches tall. You know, and it was just a little. I mean, but I still wouldn't have been able to get away, like, got, get away with like walking around the hallway with that, because like teachers yeah. would have thought it was a phone. You know, because it was about the same. Yeah. They'd have been like, also stop recording people without their permission, because you're not right. supposed to do that. So I was in photography whenever I was in high school, but our and we were like allowed to have those cameras. But even those cameras had like a tag on them that said like property of the The school school. district. I'm not going to say what school district I went to, but it had like property of the school district, property of the school, you know. So, I mean, teachers knew that it wasn't just for me. It was for school. It was for class. So they weren't like, oh, no, put that away. So (laughs) I don't know. I don't. It's. But then again, I feel like some schools and some states even are like super strict like that's true i feel like texas schools are maybe a little bit stricter than like california schools because in california they don't care if you wear like short shorts and tank tops and you know stuff like that i mean from what i from what i've seen but yeah in texas it's like oh no your your shorts are above your like above your knee no your kneecaps are showing (laughs) your kneecaps are so distracting those are some sexy kneecaps (laughs) you're gonna give these boys a coronary impure thoughts (laughs) yeah so anyway that was a that was a tangent that we had (laughs) that was a yeah okay so like i said super into filmmaking and they wanted to make a horror movie and they were like writing scripts, which, okay, cool. If you ignore the, like, if you don't murder someone, that's, that's decent. That's cool. Go for it. But you wanting to write and create a horror movie with everything that happens after, like with everything that we know is going to happen, it's not a good look. Mm-mm. It was even said by a classmate that they overheard them telling Cassie about this movie that they wanted to make and Cassie apparently like said oh I want to be in it like let me be in it like I'll Mm. you know like give me the script I'll you know we can make this movie and I feel like they probably just took that and ran with it but these guys were not filmmakers as much as they probably wanted to be thought of as such they were just too idiots who knew how to press play on a camera and record either themselves talking or talking to other people. And besides this, it didn't do anything besides give investigators exactly what they needed when it came time to put these guys on trial. Great. (laughs) So at some point, the topic of conversation between the two shifted from horror movies to actual murder, as we've discussed. They wanted to kill their own unsuspecting friends just like billy and Stu had in scream they were all about the theatrics as we will come to find so during the last week of august 2006 tory called one of his friends 18 year old joe lucero and asked him if he'd be down to purchase some knives for him 
He didn't really give a reason, but considering Tori was known to have like an interest in knives, Joe agreed. The two met up with Brian, who withdrew $40 from his bank to purchase the knives from a pawn shop. It's believed that Tori covered the remaining $5 for the four knives that they bought in total. Tori ended up with one knife, but Brian ended up with three. So four knives. I also think it's kind of stupid how Brian's like, oh yeah, here's 40 bucks. And Tori's like, here's five. Like, (laughs) sit down. (laughs) Sit down, boy. (laughs) I mean, granted, they were 16 years old. I don't know if they had jobs. I really don't care. But, you know, (laughs) like, here's five dollars. Here's my lunch money. I don't know. He He doesn't talk like that. He does talk like an actual goof, though. And I will actually be playing some audio from these guys. So just prepare for that. Awesome. So let's dive into the videotape. It starts on September 21st, 2006, which is a day before the murder. Okay, wait, pause. Okay, so the last week of August is when they got the knives. So they were planning this since August. It is now the 21st of September, which is the day before. So they they were planning this for weeks. For wow. weeks. So, so diving into the videotapes. It starts on September 21st, 2006, which, like I said before, it's the day before the murder. It starts with both of them in the car. Tori is driving his red Geo Prism. And Brian is in the passenger seat recording. So I'm going to be saying a lot of like, he said, he said, Brian said, Tori said, because I'm reading their actual transcript of the videotapes. So it's going to be a lot of like said. So I'm, I'm sorry. I can't really, I can't change that. <laughs> okay. So the video starts. Brian says, we're going for a high death count. Tori says, plus we're not going. Okay. They talk like idiots, so it's hard to keep straight. So just saying. Tori says, plus, we're not going not to get caught, Brian. If we're going for guns, we're just going to end it. We're going to grab the guns and get out of there and kill everybody and leave. Okay. Brian says, we're going to make history. We're going to make history. Shut the fuck up. I mean, sure, but not in a good way. Fucking Tori says, for all you FBI agents watching this, uh, you weren't quick enough and starts laughing. What? Brian repeats, you weren't quick enough and you weren't smart enough. And we're going over to, this name is redacted, we're going over to Jane, Doe, Jane Doe's house. We're going to snoop around over there and try to see if she's home alone or not. And if she's home alone, splat, she's dead. Tori tells Brian not to put your humor into this. And Brian says, uh, I'm not putting any humor into it. Yep, people will die and memories will fade. Tori says, memories will fade. Hmm, I wonder what movie you got that from, Brian. And Tori says, myself. That was from myself. And Tori says, no wonder it was so lame. These guys do not like each other. Like, they are not friends. What? I don't understand. So, Brian then says, Okay, we're on our way, and I'm gonna... I'll let you stay tuned. We're almost there. Okay? So, a little while later, the camera starts again. Brian says, We're at Jane Doe's house. 
It's clear out there in the pasture. We've already snooped around her house a couple of times and uh, she's not home. And we're going to go to that church over there and we're going to call a girl and a guy named Cassie and Matt. There are our friends, but we have to make sacrifices. So um, I feel tonight is the night and I feel really weird and stuff like I feel like I want to kill somebody. Uh, I know that's not normal, but what the hell? And Tori says, I feel we need to break away from normal life. (laughs) The adolescent brain is a terrible thing. (laughs) <laughs> it's so dumb and we're we're gonna get into it. it's it's dumb Look, there are some videos out in cyberspace of me as a teenager saying some stupid things nothing like offensive or murderous just like dumb so it's like when you listen to yourself as a teenager on old videos you're like god how is that so dumb you know and i feel like that's what's happening here except it's like dumb adolescent psychopaths and it just like brings it to a whole new level <laughs> The kind of shit that comes out of your mouth as a teenager. And then when you're a psycho on top of that, it's interesting. It is so dumb. <laughs> God. We need to break away from normal life. <laughs> oh my God, oh. dude. <laughs> That's not even the worst of it. That is not <laughs> even the worst of it. Okay. Go home and watch a movie and eat popcorn like a normal freaking teenager. If you like movies so much, <laughs> go watch a damn movie. Oh, no. Jesus. So Tori starts like a wannabe monologue, okay? He says, because let's put it this way, parents, along with their parents, along with their parents, and so on, taught them about God, Jesus, the whole bullshit line. I'm sure you guys believe believe in God as well. I realized when I was in the seventh grade, along, you don't believe in Santa Claus or vampires or werewolves. They're used to metaphor, not let they teach their kids back in the 1800s. I learned this in English class about telling their kids that they can't go outside or a vampire will get you just to make their kids stay and do what they want to do. God is basically, and Brian interrupts and says, that's what God's for, right? And Tori says the same way. None of it makes any fucking sense. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, we got some tiny philosophers here. <laughs> Brian then says, "It's gonna yep. start quoting Plato next." <laughs> they don't even. Okay, they, don't they know definitely that don't know who Plato is. <laughs> they do not. Uh, Tori goes on trying to get people to do good, or else, so-called air quoting, "You go to hell." And Brian says, "And we're obviously going to hell if it's real, but who gives a shit?" And Tori says, and why would you say it's real? I'm making that side eye, the (laughs) emoji with the side eyes right now. That's me. (laughs) And at this point, Brian is talking over Tori saying, yeah, but it's not real. It's not real because it's so blatantly obvious that it's not real. But and then he starts laughing like. If it is real, you're the one that's going for sure. (laughs) It's for people like you. Tori says, people believe it because their parents teach them. And so it's so hard for them to let go of it because they've been taught their whole life. Brian agrees, saying that he knows. And Tori says, but fucking the point I'm making is we're also taught that things like killing people and other things is wrong. The only thing, wait, the only thing that's wrong is 
he doesn't make any fucking sense. The only that it's wrong about is because it's breaking the law and the law is only wrong. And then he starts mumbling, searching for words because he's stupid. (laughs) And then Brian says, natural selection, dude, natural selection. That's all I got to say. What? Natural selection? (laughs) How is it natural? You're the one you're the one picking. That's not natural selection. Urchins. <laughs> Do you know the meaning of natural selection? No, because I didn't pay attention in science class. They're only natural saying natural selection. selection because that was like a big thing with Columbine. That's the only reason why Brian's like natural selection. No. Have they ever had an original thought? Or Tori then proceeds to say there should be no law against killing people. I know it's a wrong thing, but <laughs> and then Brian. I'm sorry. I'm not laughing because of what happens. I'm laughing because of how stupid they are. No, uh, yeah, like, same. So, Brian says, natural selection. (laughs) Again. So, so far he said natural selection three times. So, hold on. I'm sorry for laughing, but (laughs) Tori said, again, there should be no law against killing people. I know it's a wrong thing, but... And then Brian says, natural selection. Enough with the damn natural selection, my guys. Like, come on. Darwin is rolling over in his grave. <laughs> so, and then I'm going to play a little clip of what um, Tori says. Hell, you restrict somebody from it, they're going to want it more. So... If you, Hold on. Did you hear, Hold understand on. what he said? Hold on. That kid sounds like he has a retainer, <laughs> like no, headgear. He just has <laughs> no. He he has like the cringiest voice. He's like hell, hell. You restrict somebody from it, and you're just gonna want it more. He sounds like this. He sounds like Hermie <laughs> from Rudolph. <laughs> I want to be a dentist. Like I said, Tori says, hell, hell, you restrict somebody from it. They're just going to want it more. And Brian says, exactly. Goodbye, camera. And then the camera shuts off. (laughs) Macro selection. (laughs) Exactly. Goodbye, camera. Like, what? Okay. The camera shuts off and comes back on a few minutes later. Brian starts talking and says... We found our victim, and sad as it may be, she's our friend. But you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie Stoddard and her friends. After Tori yells at a passing vehicle, Brian continues. We'll find out if she has friends over, if she's going to be alone in a big dark house out in the middle of nowhere. And then he starts laughing and says, how perfect can you get? I mean, like, holy shit, dude. Tori responds with, I'm horny just thinking about it. Ew. Like, okay, you're so innocent, but you're horny just thinking about killing someone. Okay. Okay, my guy. Brian responds, hell yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I said that really, like, aggressively. (laughs) Hell yeah. Brian responds, Hell yeah. So we're gonna fucking kill her and her friends and we're gonna keep moving on. I heard some news about Redacted. She's gonna be home alone from 6 to 7. So we might kill her and drive over to Cassie's thing and scare the shit out of them and kill them one by fucking one. Hell yeah. And Tori says, 
why one by one? Why can't it be a slaughterhouse? (laughs) And then Brian says two by two and three by three because we've got to keep it classy. And Tori says, keep it classy. What? Keep it classy. Natural selection. Natural selection. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) These are some idiots. Okay. I'm telling you. I am telling you. Man, fuck them kids. (laughs) (sighs) They're 16. They're juniors in high school. Like, Yeah, but they're functionally like eight years old. Like, what is happening? I honestly, I I know that I was probably dumb whenever I was 16. I pray oh, I to everything that is holy that I was not this dumb. I mean, yeah, obviously. Well, obviously I wasn't because I didn't <laughs> kill anybody. But besides that, like two by two and three by three, keep it classy. Natural selection. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like like a just Stella's a string of pissed. words together that don't actually create a coherent thought. <laughs> None of that makes any sense. Let's let's keep going because we have a, we have more videotape, more idiot ground to cover. All right. So Brian says, "So yeah, it's going to be extra fun." And Tori says, "You're evil," and laughs. Brian says, "Yes, I am. So are you, dude. Evil, evil." And then Tori says, "No, evil is evil is an expression of God. That was another test you failed." And Brian says, evil is not an expression of God. And Tori says, yes, it is. Brian says, that's bullshit and you know it. So these guys are not friends. (laughs) They're literally like going back and forth. Like, (laughs) they're frenemies. Bullshit. So they start talking about like Satan because why not? Tori says, evil of origin is a follower of fucking Satan. Brian says, there is no Satan. And Tori says, is Satan real? Then shut up. And then Brian says, then how are we supposed to express ourselves? Tori says, good and bad. And then Brian says, we're, we're bad. And Tori like responds. And then Brian says, that sounds so shitty. Tori says, we're evil. That sounds even shittier. And then Brian says, hey, we're not okay. Then we are six psychopaths who get their pleasure off killing other people. Tori says, that sounds good, baby. I don't know why he's all of a sudden calling him baby. Don't really know. Don't really understand. But, you know, Brian says, we're going to go down in history. We're going to be just like Scream, except real life terms. And Tori says, that sounds good, baby. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like like a lunch lady, but that's just <laughs> like a <laughs> And Brian says, we're going to be murderers. Like, let's see. Ted Bundy, like the hillside strangler. Uh, Tori says no. And then Brian says the Zodiac killer. And then Tori says, those people were more amateurs compared to what we're going to be. We're going to be more of higher sources of Ed Gee. And he like couldn't think of the name. And Draper said Gein. And Tori said, Gein. <laughs> okay. Okay. The video ends after a little more banter with Brian saying, murder is power, murder is freedom, goodbye. Okay? Obviously not, because you're in prison, but we'll get there. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to dissect this little this little passage for a mm. second. Okay. I love how they say, 
we're going to be just like Scream except real life terms. Like, did they even watch Scream? Like, no. do they forget that the ending <laughs> isn't the best for Stu and Billy? <laughs> like, I guess not. Because spoiler alert, if you've never seen Scream, but it's been out for like 27 years at this point. But Billy and Stu die. <laughs> like, <laughs> so that's not the best outcome for them, if that's what they're looking for. Um, also, they call Ted Bundy and the Zodiac Killer amateurs. Like, Ted Bundy no, killed 25 people. I know. That's the first thing I thought. And I went, the Zodiac what? Killer has never been caught. And it's been over 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> but you think like, you two idiots are going to be more prolific than, the, than these guys? It's like, not to glamorize uh, serial killers here, but let's put some things into perspective. Like, What? <laughs> You think you two like fifteen? Like, please take several idiots. seats. Please take several seats. <laughs> take all the seats. <laughs> and also, they say hillside strangler. One. There were two. Just I don't know if that's public knowledge, but or like just knowledge that everybody has. It's public knowledge, obviously, but it's it may not be knowledge that everybody has. Common knowledge. And also. They say, oh, no, we're going to the Ted Bundy and the Zodiac Killer were amateurs. We're going to be more like Ed Gein. <laughs> um, Ed Gein killed like two people, which I'm not saying that that's not a lot. Two people is definitely more people than you should kill. <laughs> but Ed Gein's main thing was like grave robbing. Yeah. He wasn't like he would like grave rob and like use the skin to make like lamps and shit. He wasn't as prolific of a serial killer. I'm like, if you guys want to be these big bad killer bitches, yeah. learn about who you're talking about. Like that, that quote you just said, if it wasn't like irreverent, would make a shirt. <laughs> the, um, Wait, what? Two people is more people than you should kill. <laughs> it's a really good <laughs> quote for a shirt if it wasn't like irreverent. <laughs> I mean, seriously, obviously. Uh, Two people, killing two people is more people than you should ever kill in your life. But if you're going to compare Ed Gein to Ted Bundy, obviously Ted Bundy killed more people. Cool. Yeah, I mean, Math. there's a reason Just... these guys are like, I don't know what the word I want to use. I don't want to say popular because, geez, but like, well um, known. Executed is a good one for oh, Ted Bundy that's because perfect. he's executed. Yeah. <laughs> I just so, mean like you know. well known in, you know, the true crime circles yeah. obviously are yeah. going to be these people who killed a lot of people or the ones that are nicknamed because they got away with it. And nobody knows who they are. Uh -huh. You know, like, yeah. how can you, how can you two like zit faced idiots think, <laughs> think that you're going to breach that level? Because they're okay. And we will, we will learn that these guys are so especially Tori, but they're so egotistical. Like their ego is so huge and it's the narcissism is just like baffling, honestly, but a little, little sociopaths. All right. Yeah. So the next recording takes place the next day. So the morning of the murder at school, Brian is walking down the hallway and then he comes to a certain group of lockers and Cassie is at her locker. Brian says, hey, look, it's Cassie. Hello, Cassie. And Cassie says, hello. Brian laughs and says, I'm getting you on tape. Okay, say hi, please. And she does. He asks her if she's seen Tori, and she said that she hadn't. 
he goes on this like spiel about how they were supposed to meet an hour ago and Cassie's like still digging in her locker. So Brian says, you don't care, do you? And she says what I'm assuming is no with like a laugh, but it's not heard like super clearly. The video ends, but it's obvious that she wasn't like thrilled to be like recorded without like consent. Basically, he just like pops up with the camera and like, hey, it's Cassie. Say hello. Yeah. And this just adds to how messed up this entire thing is because he knew what they were planning. He knew that Cassie was their intended victim. So this just proves that whatever movie, quote unquote, they were wanting to make was a vital part of this for them. The next clip we see is Brian and Tori sitting at a table together with the camera in front of them. Tori states that they're making their death list for that night. Basically a hit list of potential victims. There's some mumbling and readjusting as they think a teacher is like hearing what they're saying and watching them. But then they continue by wishing any future serial killers who watch the tape good luck. And Tori says, hopefully you don't have like eight or nine failures like we have. And Brian says, yeah, we've probably tried maybe 10 times, but they've never been home alone. So, and Tori says, or when they have, their parents show up. Brian says, as long as you're patient, you know, and we were patient and now we're getting paid off because our victim's home alone. So we got our plan all worked out now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Cassie's family, but she had to be the one. We have to stick with the plan and she's perfect. So she's going to die. And then he laughs. Do, do these idiots like did they ever once think about how they would feel if somebody plotted and murdered? one of their family members or would that have just like required I don't think too that they, much I don't think that they would have thinking. had like the wherewithal or like even the the um, intelligence to even think that far yeah that's what I'm saying like that just required a little too much critical thinking that they weren't capable of doing I guess like, because they both had sisters <laughs> yeah uh, they're all talking about like why is it wrong to kill people like let's break away from the normal it shouldn't be wrong to kill people ha 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 okay, do you have people that you care about in your life? Would you want somebody to kill them? Come on now, it's not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> Literal idiots. Like, I wish I was being dramatic whenever I said that. Like, Yeah, you weren't joking about the 10 functioning brain cells between the two of them. So it's obvious that at that point, they were planning to kill not only Cassie, but whoever was in the house with her and other people as well. And honestly, this just goes to show how much of a pansy these dudes are. They wanted to be these big bad killers, but got spooked when their victims weren't alone. Which, I mean, thankfully, that that was the case because more people didn't have to die at the hands of these two. But it just goes to show, like, they weren't going to... No, they didn't, they didn't want to kill somebody if they weren't, like, fully alone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it just... It, idiots pansy ass idiots so september 22nd 2006 was a friday and cassie had been asked to house sit for her aunt and uncle allison and frank Contreras, at their four bedroom three bathroom home at 11372 west whispering cliffs drive that sat on two acres in pocatello idaho they had just moved to idaho the year prior from san francisco with their three children, 
two of which they had from previous relationships and one that they had together. So I didn't really give like a background of Pocatello, Idaho, so I'm just going to do that really quick. Um, Pocatello is the largest city in Bannock County, and it's the fifth largest city in Idaho. In 2006, the population was at a solid 51,786, so it's not like that this is some super small country town or anything like that. It is very conservative, however, as more than half of the residents are members of the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, or Mormons, as they're typically called. doesn't really have anything to do with the case, but I just, I like giving a little setting information every now and then. So Allison and Frank left Cassie to care for their home and the three cats and two dogs that they had because she was super responsible and, you know, she had babysat for them before, that kind of thing. And so they knew that they could trust her. And besides, they were only going to be gone for the weekend from Friday to Sunday. So the house is on a pretty remote suburb kind of neighborhood. There are houses like across the street, but nothing next door really. And there was, like, a vast, like, nothingness of a field, like, behind the house. So it was a little creepy at night. So to ease some of her worries about being alone, Cassie got the permission from her aunt and uncle and her mom as well to invite her boyfriend, Matt, to come hang out with her for a while while she house sat. He arrived around 6 p.m. and they had plans to just kind of hang out and watch movies, but soon realized, like, hey... Let's invite a couple of let's invite a couple more people to come hang out. So they invited Brian to come over, who in turn invited Tori to join. The two arrived around 7 p.m. and Cassie gave everyone a tour of the home, including the basement. And at some point, Brian, unbeknownst to Cassie and Matt, snuck away and unlocked the door to the basement so that he and Tori could re-enter the house later. They all sat down to watch Kill Bill Volume 2, but before the movie even ended, Brian said that he was bored and that he wanted to go watch a movie at the local movie theater instead. So at around 10 p.m., he and Tori left, but they didn't go to the movies. They drove and parked down the street before making yet another recording. Brian said, we're here in his car. The time is 9.50, September 22nd, 2006. Um, unfortunately, we have the grueling task of killing our two friends, and they're right in in that house just down the street. Okay. I'm going to stop myself. We have the grueling task. As if someone's yeah. telling them, like, oh, you have to do this. I know. That's my thought, too. What do you mean grueling? You're the one that came up with the idea to do it, and you want to do it. Like... <laughs> Tori says, we just talked to them. We were there for about an hour. But, and then Brian interrupts and said, we checked the, we checked out the whole house. We know there's lots of doors there. There's lots of places to hide. Um, I unlocked the back doors. It's all unlocked. Now we just got to wait. And um, yep, we're, we're really nervous right now, but you know, we're, we're ready. And Tori says, we're listening to the greatest rock band ever. Brian says, we've waited for this for a long time. And Tori says, Pink Floyd, before we commit the ultimate crime of murder. And Brian says, we've waited for this for a long time. And Tori repeats, a long time. And Brian says, well, stay tuned. 
I'm sure Pink Floyd would really appreciate that. Yeah, like fuck you. Like Thanks Pink for the Floyd does not need to be listened to by your <laughs> stupid ears. Mm-hmm. They then changed into what can only be considered a costume. They changed into all black clothing, black gloves, and donned with masks and their knives, made their way back to the Whispering Cliffs home. They entered the home through the unlocked basement door while Cassie and Matt were upstairs still watching TV. They then attempted to lure the couple downstairs to the basement by making loud noises. Their plan was to lure them down and then attack them there. But this isn't a damn movie, so not everyone is going to go and investigate a strange noise. Yeah. They were so lost in the idea that this was a movie at this point. So Cassie and Matt didn't think that these noises were worth investigating, so Tori and Brian decided to take, to take things a step further. They flipped the entire circuit breaker, sending the home into complete darkness, thinking the couple would come then. But no, they didn't. Realistically, at that point, they may have been a little spooked. So they were like, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm just going to stay here with you. We're just going to stay together and not move. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were 16 years old. Like, come on. When the couple failed to come downstairs yet again, they turned on some of the lights, but not all. At this point, Cassie started to feel a bit uneasy, but this was only pushed further when Matt realized that one of the dogs was drawn to the basement as it was barking and growling in the general direction. At this point, Matt could tell that Cassie was unsettled by all of this, so he called his mom to let her know what was going on and asked if he could stay the night with Cassie. But, of course, she was like, um, no, no. You're not going to stay in an unsupervised home with your girlfriend, and I'm coming to get you. Like, no. She did offer for Cassie to come stay with them instead, but Cassie declined the offer, saying that she'd been trusted with the responsibility of watching over the pets and the house, and she couldn't just abandon her responsibility because she was a little unsettled. So it's like, if only she just would have been like, yeah, let's go. I'm, I'm... I'm good. Let's go. The dogs and cats are fine. Let's leave. Like, it could have been so different, you know? Like, yeah. So at 1030, Matt's mom arrived to pick him up, and she once again offered for Cassie to come with them, but Cassie declined once again. Matt called Tori and Brian to see where they had gone with the hopes to hang out with them some more. However, when Tori picked up, his voice was so low and hushed that Matt had a hard time like hearing him. And because of this, he believed that they were at the movie theater. But realistically, they were in the process of essentially stalking Cassie. Once again, they shut off all the power to the house as a last-ditch effort to lure her downstairs. But when she refused to go downstairs yet again... The two decided to quietly make their way up the staircase toward a probably terrified Cassie who's lying on the couch in the living room. Because, I mean, at this point, she's hearing things. The lights are going on and off. Like, she's, I mean, by herself at this point now. So, obviously, she's probably, like, terrified. As they have her in their line of sight, they slam the door leading to the basement staircase behind them, breaking the eerie silence that they have created. In the darkness, they then proceed to attack and murder Cassie. 
At almost 11.32 p.m., Brian and Tori made their last video diary, essentially, if you want to call it that. And I'm actually going to play it for you. Just killed Cassie. We just left her house. This is not a fucking joke. I'm I stabbed her in the throat and I saw her lifeless body just disappear. Dude, I oh just killed God. Cassie. That felt like fucking real. I mean, it went by so fast. Shut the fuck up. We got to get our act straight. It's okay. Okay. We'll, we'll, let's buy movie tickets now. Okay. Come on. No. Goodbye. So when Tori, Tori says, shut the fuck up, we got to get our act straight. When he says this, it's like a switch. He does not even sound the same anymore. He doesn't even sound like the, like, like he doesn't even sound like this, like, bumbling idiot that he has been. He sounds, like, calculated. He's like, shut the fuck up. We got to get our act straight. So it's mm-hmm. it's really weird how, like, that happens. And then he just acts completely different. It. So the following day. Tori actually spent the day hanging out with Matt as if he wasn't planning on potentially killing him the night before. And considering Matt hadn't heard from Cassie, he got a little worried. So he asked Tori to bring him back to the house so he could check on her. But Tori said that he didn't have any gas, so he couldn't, knowing that Cassie was not okay, knowing that she was dead because of him and Brian. So two days passed without anyone hearing from Cassie. No one could have imagined the scene that awaited her aunt and uncle upon their return home on Sunday, September 24th. And unfortunately, Cassie's 13-year-old cousin was the one who found her. The family immediately contacted police who quickly began their investigation. They started by interviewing Cassie's boyfriend, Matt Beckham as they knew he was potentially one of the last people to see her. He told them about everything that happened that night, the lights going out, the noises, and included the details that Brian and Tori had also come over that evening. This led investigators to question the two boys next. Detectives visited Tori's home on September 24th for the first of two interviews, and Tori's dad, Sean, was present for this. He told the detectives that he and Brian went to the Whispering Cliffs residence expecting a party, but when it became apparent that a party was not going to happen, the pair left to see a movie at a theater in Pocatello. But he was unable to describe the movie or its plot, so like even though it would have been seen just two nights prior... Tori told investigators that after the movie, the two went back to his house for the evening. So then police questioned Brian, and this first interview was not recorded because he was not yet in custody, basically. Uh, He told the police that he and Tori went to see a movie at a theater after leaving the Whispering Cliffs residence. He said they arrived too late for the movie that they originally wished to see, but quickly decided to stay anyway to watch the movie Pulse. However, like Tori, he couldn't, like, describe the plot, couldn't explain anything that happened in this movie. He then wrote out a description of what happened that night before leaving the station. On the evening of September 26th, investigators brought Brian in for his second interview. Despite Brian maintaining his original story, an officer stated that he didn't believe that they went to the movies to actually watch a movie, 
because of the fact that he didn't remember a single thing about the movie that they supposedly saw. And they spoke with people who worked at the movie theater, and they already knew that Brian and Tori had never gone to the movies. Brian stated that he bought tickets from a guy who worked at the theater, but realistically, the person working the ticket counter that night was a girl. And she was a girl who went to school with Brian and Tori, and she knew who they were. So if she saw them, she would have recognized them. Brian then changed his story, saying that instead of seeing a movie, they were going through cars in the parking lot to steal items. So he 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 says this the same like the same time the, the same way every single time. We were going through cars. We were going through cars. He never says, "Oh, we were breaking into cars." After this interview, police still didn't believe him, but he was able to go home with his parents. After the second interview, a detective went to the Draper residence and with the consent of Brian and his parents, searched Brian's bedroom for anything that could link him to the murder. The detectives found a knife sheath, which Brian said belonged to a friend and that he didn't know where the knife was, but that he thought his friend had it. Brian was interviewed a third time the following day on September 27th, and he was joined by his parents this go around. In this interview, he admitted that he and Tori had unlocked the basement door so they could break into the house later that night, but he was adamant that they only did this to scare Cassie. He did state that they brought masks, gloves, black clothing, and knives to assist them because they knew that this would be terrifying to see, even without a murder involved. His confession didn't end there. He told investigators that once they were upstairs, Tori began to stab Cassie. At first, Brian said that he thought that Tori was simply trying to scare him, but he soon realized that he was actually stabbing her. Brian insisted that he never touched and especially didn't stab Cassie. He claimed that earlier that day, Tori had threatened to kill him if he spoke of the upcoming incident. In addition to the confession, Brian offered to show investigators where Tori and Brian disposed of all of the evidence. Brian and his father were joined by several investigators in the Black Rock Canyon area, where Brian led them to the site where they had buried all of the evidence. The items recovered included a book of matches, a melted hydrogen peroxide bottle, one pair of blue gloves, one pair of black boots, one pair of fingerless gloves, one multicolored mask, one large dagger-type knife with a sheath, one silver and black-handled knife with Sloan written on the side. Notice this knife does not have a sheath. One small dagger-type knife with a sheath, one Sony videotape, one black-handled serrated folding knife. Later DNA testing revealed that Cassie's blood was present on this knife. A partly burned piece of paper with writing and pencil, and I will tell you in a few minutes or in like a minute what was written on this note or on this piece of paper. Uh, one red and white mask. Later DNA testing revealed that a partial DNA profile of Tori was on this mask. One single black glove. Later DNA testing revealed a partial DNA profile of an unknown male, so it didn't match Anybody that they knew, basically. A pair of partially burned black Puma brand gloves. 
Later DNA testing revealed that Cassie's blood had soaked into these gloves. One blue plastic garbage bag, a partially burned black long sleeve Hager brand dress shirt, a Calvin Klein black dress shirt. Le- uh, later DNA testing revealed that Cassie's blood was present on the shirt cuff. Uh, one white and gray sock and a small piece of black cord. So basically they took all of the, all of the evidence, attempted to burn it and then buried it. All of this evidence, all, this is everything that they found. The partially burned note found was difficult to read, but it is believed that this could have been a note shown in one of the recordings from September 22nd. Uh, some of the legible parts mention killing both Matt and Cassie. So they have they have it in writing as well as now they have the videotape. Yeah, idiots. Wow. So they have a confession from Brian, but they needed one from Tori also. Detectives called Tori and had him and his parents come down to the Pocatello police station so Tori could give his second interview. He reiterated that he and Brian arrived at the Whispering Cliffs home between 8 and 8.30. They toured the house before watching a portion of Kill Bill Volume 2 before leaving at 10. From here, they began to break into cars. Throughout their attempted burglaries, Tori states that he tried to make contact with Matt Beckham several times. The final time, Matt picked up and said his mother was taking him home. At 11.30, the pair went to Tori's and didn't leave again for the remainder of the night. Okay, so this is Tori's story. So, um, detectives had discovered that witnesses saw the two at a local convenience store later than that and asked Tori about this. He quickly admits that they had to get matches for Brian who smoked cigarettes. Realistically, if they if it was to actually get matches, it was to burn the evidence or to try to burn the evidence. With some more questioning, he admitted that they went to Black Rock Canyon for a while. At the end of the interview, the detectives told Tori about the evidence they uncovered in Black Rock Canyon. Investigators showed him the partially burned notebook paper, and he admitted that his handwriting was the one on the paper. They told him that he needed to be honest about what happened the night, but at that point, Tori asked for an attorney at which time investigators stopped the interview. After speaking with his father for a few moments, uh, Tori was arrested. Brian was also brought to Bannock County Jail on September 27th, but at this point his confession pointed to Tori alone, so they needed to piece together what actually happened and what role Brian actually played in the murder. So Brian undergoes his fourth interview at this point, agreeing to speak without his parents present. Remember that. He agrees to speak without his parents present. He's 16. He has to have his parents present or he has to give up that right. Uh, Police used the blame he had placed on Tori to their advantage, stating that maybe Tori threatened Brian if he didn't participate, basically forcing his hand. Brian agreed that this was what happened and admitted to stabbing Cassie four times in the leg and in the chest at first. But Tori reiterated that Cassie had to die, so Brian continued stabbing. Brian Draper and Tori Adamchik were arrested on September 27, 2006, on charges of first-degree murder, as well as conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. 
During the trial, the results of the autopsy that was performed by the medical examiner, Dr. Steve Skomal, on September 25th was brought to the forefront. It concluded that Cassie had been stabbed between 28 and 30 times. Twelve of these wounds were considered potentially fatal. The state also brought in forensic pathologist Dr. Charles Garrison to examine Cassie. Upon his findings, he stated in court that, quote, It's my opinion that there were at least two knives used, one of which was a non-serrated blade and one of which was a serrated blade, end quote. Both examiners believed that a strike to the right ventricle of Cassie's heart was likely the wound that ended her life. This wound was created using the non-serrated knife. It's never, it's unclear as to who had the serrated knife and who had the non-serrated knife. Just FYI. During Brian's trial, he wanted his fourth interview to be suppressed on the grounds that his parents were not present. His request was denied as he waived his own right to remain silent and his parents had not invoked his right to counsel. After trial by jury, Brian Draper was convicted of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder on the first degree, or in the first degree. After his trial, Brian underwent a present tense investigation, otherwise known as a PSI, which looks at a person's social and legal background to create a plan of punishment. His parents were invited to join the interview by the court, but the investigator overseeing the interview asked for them to remain outside of the interview, as they believed that Brian would not be fully honest if his parents were there. They even believed that his parents may attempt to interfere to protect themselves and Brian. After undergoing the PSI, Brian objected to the contents of the investigation, believing the investigator who oversaw the interview was biased and that it was a botched interrogation. There is a statute regarding PSI titled Idaho Criminal Rule 32 that creates boundaries to the content discovered through a PSI. The purpose of the PSI is to help the court or jury determine the most effective sentence without explicitly stating a recommended duration. The district court denied his objection, finding that although not perfect, the PSI complied with Rule 32. Before pronouncing the sentence, the district judge discussed the brutal nature of the crime and stated that he was convinced that if Brian were released, that he would kill again. Uh, the district judge said, quote, I'm convinced of that beyond a reasonable doubt, end quote. Because of these conclusions, the district court sentenced Brian to a fixed life sentence for his first-degree murder conviction and an indeterminate life sentence with 30 years fixed for conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. On April 17, 2007, Brian Draper was found guilty and sentenced. On June 8, 2007, Tori Adamchik was found guilty of both conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and first-degree murder. He was sentenced to 30 years to fixed and an indeterminate life sentence for the conspiracy conviction. Cassie's family filed a civil lawsuit against the Idaho School District in 2010 for failing to be proactive regarding the threats that Tori and Brian made, considering the majority of the videos were recorded in the school, including clips of the boys writing out their kill list as well as the instructions for murdering Cassie. They believed the district and the school were negligent. However, the Supreme Court felt that 
It was not something that could have been known by the teachers or staff of the school district, so the case was dismissed. The Supreme Court received separate appeals from the young men, one for Tory in September of 2010 and one from Brian in April of 2011. Both were denied. Both were denied. However, Brian's charges for conspiracy were dropped because it was believed that the jury was misled during the trial. In July 2015, Tory met with CIS District Magistrate Judge Mitchell W. Brown to discuss some issues he had with the handling of the case entirely. He believed that if he had been allowed to have character witnesses at the initial trial, then he'd have received a more lenient sentence, which, okay, Brian had character witnesses and it didn't help his sentence, so step aside. He went on to say that his former attorney led him and his parents to believe it was only it would only create more evidence against him. In March of 2016, his p- appeal was denied. Uh, when they were putting Tori on trial, the defense was basically like, okay, in the video, you hear Brian said, say, I killed Cassie. You didn't hear Brian say, we killed Cassie. So that was like the whole defense. They were like, uh, Tori never says I killed Cassie and Brian never said we killed Cassie. So they they really like clung to that. But with the whole like narcissism thing, I'm like, I don't think that he would have said we. He, I mean. Right. He, you know, he I wanted mean? to be responsible for it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. Going back to whole his, his whole appeal was denied thing. You made videotapes admitting to killing Cassie. Like, you made videos wanting to kill many others. You had a hit list. You cannot honestly expect anyone to believe that you were innocent in any kind of way. I think that is also just naive narcissism. You know what I mean? Like, you you wanted to be famous. You wanted to be remembered for doing something brutal. And this is what that looks like, is being in prison for the rest of your life. Yeah. In November of 2019, Tory attempted to appeal his conviction again, but was denied once more. And again, Tory appealed again in 2022, and on March 24, 2022, they upheld the sentence. So no matter how hard Tory tries, he's staying in prison and he's where he belongs. Yeah. In a 2012 documentary called Lost for Life, which profiled young adults who had been sentenced to life without parole as juveniles, Brian was deeply remorseful, took responsibility for his role in the murder, and acknowledged that he needed to pay for the crime that he committed. Tori, on the other hand, and his parents are all so delusional in the documentary. Tori does not accept any kind of responsibility. He does not show any kind of remorse and states that he was, quote, paying for someone else's mistakes at this point, end quote. Like, no, you're paying for your own mistake. You knew you weren't making a movie because he he tried saying that he thought that it was just a, a movie. Okay, sure. Like, <laughs> you knew you were fully participating in a murder. You got horny just thinking about it, you little shit. Like, come on. No. No. Yeah. Tori's parents are also like, there are no words. (laughs) There are no words. They put all of the blame on Brian. 
In the documentary, his mom talks about how inconvenient it is to go through the visitation process of the prison. Like, Cassie's mom never got to see her daughter alive again. Cassie's brother never got to say goodbye to his sister because of what your son did. Until you can take some kind of like responsibility for what your son did, I do not want to hear how hard it is on you. Like, please cry me the deepest of rivers. I know. Yeah. I literally, I, I tried reading her book because I wanted to see like what, I wanted to get like an insight on who Tori was before the murder. I literally couldn't make it through a quarter of it. I was like, this is stupid because she yeah. has no, there is no recognition of guilt. She thinks that Tori was wrong place, wrong time. She thinks Brian was the one who did it. Tori did nothing. Da 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 da. I'm like, no. Like, there's evidence. Like, there's evidence all over the place that Tori was just as culpable as Brian. And I don't know if it's one of those things where it's like, oh, it's your kid. You don't want to believe that your kid is capable of that. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. You've got to be like, you've, you have to have the snap to you to look at the evidence in front of you and say, holy shit, I missed something. I, there are things that I missed with my kid growing up. Like there's got to be something. So unfortunately on April 19th, 2022, um, Cassie's mom, Anna passed away after battling a long-term illness. Uh, Cassie's brother Andrew has said, quote, I know how to handle it now. It's still a huge part of me. For me, every month of September is one I struggle to get through. It comes in waves, honestly. There's days that I'm fine and others I'll just crumble. We love her. It's always going to be a part of us. It's not like it's ever going to go away. It's always on the back of our minds, but we focus on keeping our family strong instead of focusing on the bad. We focus on the good and when she was around still. Nobody should ever have to go through this. End quote. Cassie is remembered for her kindness and her willingness to help anyone who needed it. So in honor of Cassie, be nice to those around you. Be kind to those who you feel might need it. And even if you don't, just be kind anyway. It's not hard to be kind. Because it sucks that Cassie was ripped away from her family because of these Two dumbasses who had nothing better to do than take someone who was so much better than them in every sense of the word. Like, Cassie was a million times better than what these guys will ever be. So, while I'm glad that it appears that Brian is remorseful and he is in, he seemed to be in the process of being rehabilitated, he's still where he needs to be. And Tori can just suck every single (laughs) (laughs) So unfortunately, that is the scream murder, as it's typically called. It's typically called the scream murder or just the murder of Cassie Joe Stoddard. Jeez. Yeah. God, what idiots. Yeah. It's almost like somehow more insulting that like it's just those two absolute imbeciles were able to pull off a murder because it's like they shouldn't have even been smart enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like Cassie was a straight A student and these two idiots 
took yeah. me like oh, come Not that on. that's anything to aspire to but just like the idea that like they weren't smart at all but they managed yeah. to like end someone's life it's like geez yeah like this calculated um murder but it it's like how can you be so dumb and like pull off a calculated murder i i don't i don't understand and well they didn't even use we say pull pull it off yeah the only reason why it was pulled off was because they actually did go through the murder but they were caught so quick yeah because they were dumb Mm -hmm. like they didn't think it through i don't believe nothing well it may have been planned but nothing there was nothing about this that was actually thought through no i mean the pretty much their plan just consisted of like we're gonna get this girl alone and stab her and that's what they and at first they they didn't even care if she was alone they were gonna kill matt yeah that's right you know and i will say that a lot of people thought it was weird that matt was like he called tori whenever he left you know basically almost like giving him like the green light like saying oh she's i left her by herself you know Mm -hmm. but he was going to be killed if he stayed yeah i mean granted he may have not have been he might have been able to fight them off i don't know you know but i mean i just i think about how terrified cassie must have been by herself to be attacked by and i'll post a picture on the instagram but the masks they were wearing are fucking scary they had like one of them was like a white mask with like red what looked like blood like pouring out of the eyes pouring out of the nose pouring out of the mouth Jeez, like they're just idiots Mm -hmm. idiots idiots Mm -hmm. that's really all i can say because i and i feel bad okay I say this, I feel bad because typically I don't go like as hard in the paint as I did whenever it comes to like talking shit on the perpetrators. Yeah. But in this, I feel like it's impossible with this case not to. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're just clearly stupid. So, I mean. Like I try, I try really hard to be professional and to keep it as professional as possible. But with these guys, I just... It's hard. It's yeah. really hard whenever I looking at looking at it as an adult. I'm like, "Oh. Oh, you sweet summer child." Like, yeah. No. So, I don't know. I hope that they both see Cassie's face every single day whenever they close their eyes. Same. That's all I hope for. Mhm. I'm tired of talking about these assholes. <laughs> yeah. I'm tired of it. So. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Me neither. That was rough. But I'll try to we'll 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 have a we'll have a lighthearted episode next time. <laughs> cool. Cuz the last episode was a serial killer and this one was this one so next next episode we'll we'll have something a little a little lighthearted, and yeah. um i do want to say 
um, thank you to everyone who reached out to us during our week off. We got a lot of like sweet messages, a lot of sweet comments, you know, people just making sure that we're good, we're okay. And we just wanted, or I just wanted to say thank you and that we love you. And it just makes, it just is very sweet knowing that people care about our mindset and like where we are and how we are and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, but I guess, I guess we'll go. (laughs) Well, with all of that being said, if you want to find us on Instagram, our Instagram is the morning hour pod. If you have any case suggestions or, you know, you just want to talk to us, you are more than welcome to do that on our Instagram as well as our email, which is the morning hour pod at gmail.com. Um, if you like this podcast, please be sure to leave it a rating, a review, you know, just something to let us know that you like what we're doing here. Um, if you want to check out our merch, you should do that. <laughs> um, you can find that linked on our website as well as our Instagram. And if you want to support the podcast with a buy me a coffee, which if you don't know what a buy me a coffee is, it is a one time donation kind of a situation as we get ready to release our Patreon later on this year or in a little bit of this year. So yeah, um, all of that is linked on our website. As I said before, is the morninghourpodcast.com, if I haven't said that before. Not really sure. All of this is also linked in the show notes. If for some reason my mind is gone and I forgot it. (laughs) So yeah, but with that being said, we will see you in the next one. Or well, you might not see us, but... You'll You'll hear hear us. Okay. (laughs) Stay creepy. Bye. Bye.